Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right, well, good morning, Mercy family. Uh, Listen, that video you just saw, we just want to draw your attention to some great work that our kids' ministry is doing. And listen, every Sunday morning at 9.15, we have kids programming for you over on our website, and they have put together an awesome uh, set of just ways ways to teach the Bible, and they're doing it for you, and all you got to do is put your kids right there, and you get with them, uh, and you sing together, worship together, um, and it's just a a great resource and a great time of family worship before our main service here at 10 o'clock. So we just want you to, to know about it. They're doing great work. And you should, if you've got little ones, you should be there at 9.15. That's when church starts for you, all right? Um, With that said, let me transition into today. About two years ago, probably about right around two years ago, I got my very first pair of Air Jordans. All right, it's about two years ago. It's still the only pair of Jordans I've ever worn. Yes, it is the ones I'm wearing this morning. They are great preaching shoes. Um, I always saw them growing up, but, you know, my parents, every time I'd be like, Mom, Dad, look at those things. I'm watching Space Jam, and Michael Jordan looks super cool. And I'm like, I want to, and they would say, we are not about to spend real money on shoes. You're going to outgrow, which is the lesson I have passed down to my children now. Uh, so they can wait. But here's the thing. When I bought them, I didn't really know what I was wearing. You see, I had, the reason I was getting them is I had started playing basketball, and I needed some basketball shoes now that I was playing more. And so I thought to myself, well, what better shoe to get than Jordans, right? So anyways, I buy them. They come in the mail. They're this really nice box. I'm like, this is kind of bougie packaging for some basketball shoes, but whatever, you know? And so I took them out and yes, I went out on the court and I played in them. Well, a few days later, I see Pastor Richard and he's our unofficial pastor of fashion. If you don't know that, that should be on his title. It's not. Um, And I'm like, and so I see him, and I'm kind of excited. I'm like, hey, man, I got some Jordans. And he's like, really? I said, yeah. And, you know, I wore them. they're really comfortable, but, man, they, they weren't actually that great to play ball in. And he gives me this look that the more you get to know Pastor Richard, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Where he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he goes, oh, my goodness. Tell me you did not play ball in a fresh new pair of J's. I remember it. And I was like, uh, of course I did int. You know, I was like, there's kind of like, maybe, maybe not. I don't know what's happening. And he proceeded to explain to me this whole category of shoe that I didn't know existed called fashion sneaker and Jordans fit into this category. I didn't have that category. And he's like, Spence, your problem is you don't see the value these shoes have. If you did, you'd treat them differently. So then he goes to, goes on and introduces me to this whole sneaker kingdom that is just crazy out there. And he's, and then he gives me some basics. He says, Spence, here's some basics. All right. First, never crease the Jordans. I'm like, okay, I think I got it. And then next thing he says is do not walk on grass with your Jordans. That's why God invented sidewalks. 
walk on the sidewalks, right? Um, and then he says, um, and lastly, never play ball in the Jordans. I'm like, what? It's like, trust me, all right? You are in J's. You got to walk like it. They're going to up your fashion game more than anything else you own because he knows the other things that I own. And he's like, they're going to really up your game if you treat them right. Y'all, here's the thing. My feet were in Jordans, but I was walking around like I had on any old pair of shoes. And as silly as it sounds, at 35 years old, I was actually going up and down the hallway of my house, learning to walk in new shoes that I was wearing. I had to unlearn some bad habits and then learn how to walk. And here's the point in all of this. If somehow, MJ, you are watching this, I just want to apologize, Tar Heel to Tar Heel. And if you want to send me some fresh ones, I promise I'm ready now, okay? That, no, that's not the point here. Um, the point, listen, our passage today is this great passage in Colossians 3. It's going to celebrate our standing in Christ, that we have this new life in Christ. And then our writer, the Apostle Paul, is going to tell us how to walk around in what we are already standing in. And I think it's going to be great because it is such an honest passage about the, the process of walking with Jesus. Discipleship, following Jesus, is all about celebrating this new life that we have, starting from there, centering on there. But then, and what this passage is going to highlight, is that there's a struggle that takes place as we try to unlearn some old habits of walking and then learning how to walk in the new life Christ has given us. So Colossians 3, we're going to start in verse 1, and as we start to learn how to walk in this new life, the whole time what's probably going to happen here, because we're just going to walk through about 17 verses. That's kind of our outlines, walking through. The whole time, there's probably going to be an evaluation going on in your heart and mind between you and Scripture. Right? You kind of find yourself saying, is this me? And you might find yourself saying, do I measure up here? You might ask the question, why am I still so prone to walk in those old habits? We're going to talk about that a little bit. Depending on how long and how severely you've been living in contradiction to this new life you're going to see laid out here, you might be tempted over the course of this to despair. So I want this theme to guide you. All right? I want you to remember this all, through all of today. It was the mercy of God that saved you, and it's the mercy of God that transforms you. All right, let whatever conviction that God puts on you today, which I hope that he does, let it be bracketed by the mercy of God. My salvation, that's entirely God's mercy to me. The new shoes that I'm standing in, that's entirely God's mercy to me. So I'm going to depend then entirely on his mercy to do the work he needs to do in me now. All right, walk in the new life you already have. It's yours Listen, the way the passage breaks down, kind of three chunks of scripture, the first four, first four verses, we're just going to see what the new life is. Then we're going to see what we have to unlearn. That's verses about five through nine. There's a couple of a little interlude, verses 10 through 11. And then the last one talks about this new life. So we'll look at those old habits and what keeps us from walking in the new life, what keeps us searching for something better. And it's going to be, I hope, really profitable for you as you seek to walk with Christ. All right. Verse one, you guys ready? Ready in here? Ready? Ready there in your home, sitting on the couch, put down the coffee. Yes, you're ready. Here we go. Verse one, 
Actually, I'll read verses one and two. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Well, this is where we finished last week. If you've been raised with Christ, the central Christian belief is that Jesus died and then three days later he rose from the grave. You cannot be a Christian without believing that that happened, that it really happened. He really died and he really rose again. And the gospel message says that we who believe this, we too have been raised with Christ which means we have new life. And this is the contrast we're going to see all day long. Old life versus new life. Old ways of walking versus new ways of walking. He says this new life, we're to seek. Look at that. We're to seek the things above. We're to set our minds on the things above. It's very active. You catch that? He doesn't say passively endorse and nod to the things above. He says seek them. To set your heart and mind on the things above, that's to remember and to embrace each day our standing as citizens of heaven. It's to become more acquainted, more familiar with the value, the beauty, the majesty, the power, and the hopefulness that comes with our standing in Christ. To set our minds on the things above is to explore what Ephesians 1 calls the glorious riches of our inheritance in Christ. There are promises on top of promises for those standing in Christ. Promises that God will be with you, that his peace can calm fears, that his presence can refresh your soul, that his power will give you the courage and strength to obey him, that his mission can give you a crystal clear purpose for your life, that his spirit can give you the power to display his glory in a way that is beautiful and lifts up others. But you've got to set your mind on your citizenship in heaven. We're going to come back to how we do that more because that's where the passage goes. But then we got to let that citizenship guide our steps here on earth. And usually the reason we struggle with things in this world is because we haven't embraced our death to them. That's what he hits on in verses 3 and 4. For you died. For you died. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. Y'all, to walk in new life, first, you got to be convinced that you're dead to your old life. Y'all, we often talk about becoming a Christian as converting, and that's good. That's biblical language. There's nothing wrong with it, but we can easily forget the totality of that conversion. That in the miracle of conversion to Christianity, our old self dies. And it's quite possible that the reason we have a hard time seeing real change in our life is because we failed to ever grasp what it fully means to die with Christ. To die with Christ, it's not obviously a physical death. The penalty for sin is a physical death, but Christ took that on the cross for us. So what's our death? It's death to the sin that he died for. For us, it's emancipation from sin's rule, sin's power, and sin's deception over us. This is Romans 6, um, 6 and 7. We know that our old self, this is the same Paul, by the way, that's our writer in Colossians. He's writing this, explaining it more. Our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. 
Since a person who has died, same language he's using in Colossians, is freed from sin. Goes down to verse 11. So you too consider yourselves, this is how we're to walk, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We're to consider ourselves dead to sin. You know what this means? Okay. It means the, the impulses, the convictions, the drives, the values, the affections, and the passions that govern our lives and that give us identity in this world, they are killed by the Spirit of God when we receive salvation in Christ. So you look again at verse 3. You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You, you guys, all right, hidden. This is the only letter where Paul really employs this hidden language, and there's some realities here that should leave us in awe of what we are standing in. First, your life being hidden with Christ means your record is wiped clean before God. You don't have a guilty standing. You have a righteous standing because when God looks at you to judge you for what you've done, instead, he sees you're standing in Christ's righteousness, the righteousness that Christ gives you. And he therefore accepts you and welcomes you in. And then he says, with Christ, I mean, look at every little word, with Christ in God. That's another reality. You are hidden inside of a relationship with God. You aren't shielded from God by Christ. You are invited in as a son or daughter with Christ. He's bringing you into a relationship with the Father. How powerful is that? You have access to the throne of grace, to God the Father, who says to the prodigal, welcome home, son or daughter. Another reality of this hiddenness is that your eternity is secured. That's what verse 4 is going to get at. That right now, as you walk around, no, you don't look physically different than others, but there is a hidden reality you're walking in that will one day be made visible. That's verse four. When Christ, who is your life, we're going to keep coming back to that today. Who is your life? Because you died. So now Christ, who is your life? Well, when he appears, then because he is your life and because you were raised with Christ and because you've been hidden with Christ, you will appear with him in glory. Eternity with Christ. Eternity with God. How awesome is that? What a change when we find our standing in Christ. Do you see what you are standing in? To use the, if the metaphor is cheesy, I just hope that it's clear and helpful. Do you see the shoes you're actually standing in? We died to our old life. Christ becomes our life. A great example, by the way, of the power of this change is the Apostle Paul himself. I mean, how does this guy go from hating and killing Christians to preaching Christ and being ready to die for Christ? Well, first, he died with Christ. His sin, his motivations to be the most righteous of the Pharisees, that motivation was nailed to the cross. His blood thirst was nailed to the cross. His fear of the people that would challenge his power that he currently had was nailed to the cross. He died to that sin. And after he died, he was raised to a new life that was in Christ, a genuinely new life where that old sin had lost its power. And in place of those old motivations were new promises and new purposes given to him by God, the very ones we just talked about. That kind of transformation, what Paul's trying to encourage the Colossians with is that's what every believer goes through. 
as they learn how to walk around in their standing they have in Christ. And that's where he goes next. In the next few verses, he's going to talk about some things we've got to unlearn, some old habits and ways of living that are inconsistent with our new life. And y'all, the reality is, I'm going to tell you, true gospel change requires digging down deeper than we ever knew we needed to. That's because the old life is deeper rooted than we ever realized. To unlearn, we've got to dig deep. And we do that, we go through that, by the way, so that we can then dig up. We can discover the glory of the things above as we learn to walk in our standing. But first, we've got to put the old life to death. And that's verses 5 through 9. Let me read them for you. I'm going to read all of them, verse 5 through 9, and then talk about them. Okay, here we go. Therefore, Paul says, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you put off the old self with its practices. All right. I want you to see something here. He's telling us to put to death Something we've already died to. Why? That's him saying it's going to take some intentional active work on our part to move forward in the standing positionally that we already have in Christ. Positionally, you're dead to those things. You've breathed your last breath to sin. It's rain over you. It's over. And yet, what is every single Christian that I know, anyways, we all know, that those things that we died to seem to keep coming up in our lives. That's because their roots are just way deeper than we realized. I mean, look at the list. This is how you walked when you were wearing those old shoes. And I realize, again, it, the shoe metaphor breaks down a little because it wasn't just that you were living a lesser life. It was lesser because, listen, God does offer the most fulfilling of all ways to live a human life. But that old life was also a life that was in direct rebellion to God. <laughs> That's what sin is. And yet... We all fall back into those old ways somehow or another. We don't seek the things above. Sometimes we kind of have one foot in uh, the old way and one foot in the new life. We have this awesome new life we're called into with all these great promises. Why do we struggle to throw off this old life? I want to share with you a couple of things. I think we see scripture warning us against, calling us away from why we struggle to throw off the old life. The first one, the reason we don't put off the old self is because we're blind to it. We don't, we don't see it. Becoming in practice what you are in position, y'all, it means a lot of self-assessment. And what always happens is that there are areas in our character that either because of pride or ignorance, we're just blind to how stuck in the old life they are. You know, I think of my own life. What the Lord has revealed to me, one of the areas that I was blind to, a huge one that I was blind to, was my fear of people. So I became, I had a fear of people before I became a Christian. <laughs> I became a Christian, and then I did not realize how much I needed to allow God to go to work on that fear of people, right? I was still standing in the old life, and my fear of people caused me to lie to others to create a perception of me that I thought they would approve of, and I just brought that in with my new standing, and that fear, it, it, it motivated a lying that was so entrenched in my habits 
I didn't even realize I was doing it. I just knew that even though I was a Christian, I was still paralyzed by fear. And that was frustrating to me because I thought fear wasn't supposed to have its reign over me. I was blind to what was causing it. The way God revealed this to me was through a combination of reading his word and being in transparent community where I had a couple of older guys, Christians who had been walking with Jesus for a longer time, who said some hard things to me that I needed to hear. And look, I'm just going to tell you, you need people who will help you see where the enemy is deceiving you and you're actually walking in those old ways and you don't realize it. But I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to trust them. you got to trust that they are not out to judge you. That's why I'm saying you got to get some people that you can really trust. They simply, you need the kind of people you can trust. They're not judging you. They're there to simply help you follow Jesus with your whole life. The best thing you can do is find a believer whose life you look at and you're like, I respect that. I want to live like that. And you should ask them, hey, can you show me where my blind spots are? In fact, that's our soul work for this week because it's the one that I want to do the least, which is why it's the one that I know I need to do, right, for this week. Discover your blind spots. Go do that hard work. Discover your blind spots and do that through prayer through the counsel of others that you trust and respect. But here's another reason we don't put off those old old ways. Sometimes it's because we're blind to it. But sometimes we don't put off the old self because we're just comfortable in it. Those first groupings of things he said in verse 5, they're all related to sexual immorality. Even greed. In that particular rendering, it's uncontrolled desire for more and more pleasure and experiences. He calls it, all of it, idolatry. Blindness is one thing when we don't realize we're worshiping the wrong thing. But for some Christians, it's not blindness. It's just preference. We know God's ways, but we prefer our ways. And this is just really true in the area of sexuality. God has this incredible, beautiful portrait of sex that he created for us. But because we don't take any time to set our minds on the things above, And because we're consumed by our earthly nature, it's no surprise that we prefer our earthly nature. We're like a kid whose parents are trying to take him to the beach to play in the ocean, but his eyes are fixed on this puddle of raw sewage that he's determined to play in. And his parents pick him up. They're like, look, see the ocean? He's like, I don't want that. I just want the toxic sewage. The old self is toxic to the new self. But sometimes we just prefer it. And what I think we got to own today is that that is sin. We don't need to try to justify it. We need to repent of it. Y'all, when it comes to this particular area that Paul repeats in a lot of his letters, we need to see sex outside of marriage as sin. And we need to put it to death because God tells us right here to do so. Now, I'm not saying that's easy, by the way. What I am saying is that God has something better for you. And maybe, you know, look, maybe you're hearing this, you're living together, maybe you got kids. Look, I've watched people come under conviction from God and say, okay, God, I want to walk in the new life. I want, to, I want everything you would have for me. I want it all. So I'm going to trust you and I'm going to walk. I'm going to try to walk in that new life that you have for me. I've seen people go and get married. I've seen others split up. I've seen some move out for a short time until they get married. Again, I'm going to ask you, 
Talk to a fellow Christian that you trust to help you think through this. But you can honor God here and in doing so, receive the blessing of what it means to walk in a new life. Tell you one other. One other reason that I see us not putting off the old self. We don't put off the old self because we try apart from God's strength. And it's too hard. It's funny. (laughs) We... We Christians, we do believe our standing comes from grace alone. The mercy of God saves me. Christ gives me new life when I didn't deserve it. And then yet we try to walk in our own strength and not his. As if the same power that saved us left us to figure it out on our own. And those old things creep in and then we try to fight them off in our own strength. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 12, when he's weak, that's when he's strong. Why? Because God's power and God's glory is made more evident in his weakness. So if right now you're in this good fight of trying to put off the old ways, the old life, and maybe you find yourself failing, I want you to know that there is victory for you. And you don't have to get stronger. You actually have to get weaker. You have to lay down your pride, get on your knees, and be really needy before God. And in your weakness, his spirit will carry you. Listen, middle-class Americans, and there are a lot of uh, those in our church, middle-class Americans have a really hard time being needy before God, and we're really tempted to grit it out in our own strength because that's what our kind of cultural ecosystem has taught us to do, is to make our own way. But God says, no, 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 no. That's not going to work. That's not going to work when it comes to that old self you got to get desperately needy for God and his spirit to carry you. All right, let's keep going. We've got this little two-verse interlude starting in verse 10. It's awesome. And then he's going to tell us how to walk forward now that we've seen how to put off the new self. Verse 10, you've put on the new self. And you are, look at the tenses, being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. I want you to see right here. God is, I told you there's victory for you because God is working something in you if you are a follower of Christ. He's renewing you. He's making you more into the image of Christ. He doesn't just hope you get there one day. He puts his spirit within you and maybe that conviction that you're starting to feel, that right there, even that conviction, that man, I do, I want to try and follow God. That's God renewing you. Lean into that. The God who saved you did not leave you. He is with you, renewing you. We say, God, okay, I'm ready. That's the one stirring. God is the one stirring that desire. God is the one who's going to help you walk forward in that new life. And he says, look at this powerful, powerful verse. It's almost like a little conclusion after these first few. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Wow. You see, verse 8, a couple of verses ago, was showing how the old self would try to draw up battle lines based on our differences. But something happens when we're hidden in Christ, hidden with Christ. Those old battle lines wash away. Values and passions that used to lead us, like racist and hateful attitudes, they're dead. And we have new passions and new values that reflect Christ. The distance between a Greek and a Jew, that was a cultural canyon. And Paul says, no more. Not when you're hidden with Christ. 
barbarians and Scythians, how, that was how cultural elites referred to the, the unrefined. It was high class and low class distinction. And in Christ, Paul says it's gone. And then the reference to slave and free, that is the undermining of the deepest division that existed anywhere. And in place of all of that, he says, now you'll be identified as brother and sister. Because Christ is all and in all. And therefore, because Christ is all, to walk in the new standing Christ has won for us is to walk as Christ walked. It's to follow him. That's our last section today. I told you, Richard, when, when I got these shoes, he gave me some you know, basics for Jordans. That's what I feel like Paul's doing in these, these last few verses, telling the Colossian church, here's some foundational areas you got to start with, all right? How to walk in the new life. This is verses 12 through 17. All of these, by the way, what's so awesome to me is they're all interpersonal. The first place he goes is to their standing, though. Verse 12, Paul, y'all, look, all right. For two chapters, it, I know it took us a long time to get through the, those first two chapters of Colossians. In fact, some of our, uh, one of our members was like, hey, is our new theme for 2020 Colossians by Christmas? I was like, yes, and we made t-shirts and everything. But look, the point is, those first two chapters were packed with theology so that you could understand you're standing in Christ. But Paul doesn't leave theology behind to tell us how to live. He constantly stays in, you're standing in Christ. And in case you're getting a little bit like feeling guilty or something like that, or worried that now it's all about behavior checklist, he says, okay, reminder right here, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly beloved. Man, how to walk in the new life? You know where you start? You just rehearse God's love for you. He can't get away from the gospel and neither should we. You are holy and you are dearly loved in Christ. God chose to put his love on you. You need to embrace that love because everything else he's about to say is you demonstrating that love out to others. So you better be standing in it, living in it, setting your mind on it. Then he says, put on compassion, put on kindness, put on humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another. And forgiving one another, if anyone has a grievance against another, here we go, a little theology again, can't get away from it. It's in love with this guy's in love with Jesus, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. And above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you are also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. And I just want to pause here and show you What he's into now is the way we treat others. The way we engage others is with the same love that Christ gave us. Compassion. That's showing empathy and putting yourself in someone else's shoes and trying to love them well where they are. Kindness. My friend Sharon Miller would say this is very different than niceness. Kindness and niceness are not synonyms. Nice is being pleasant to others so that they will like you. It's selfish, ultimately. Kindness is being loving to others so that they will see more of Christ. And then he goes on to bearing with and forgiving others. And then he brings up the gospel to model, give us a model because this is so hard. How to walk in a new life. Y'all, what is it he spends just a little more time in? We got to forgive. And listen, if that is the one you immediately bristle up at, that's a sign you need to spend some time in it. 
Learning to walk as one who forgives is not easy. Christ, I'm going to tell you, Christ never said sin was okay. Nobody expects you to think that someone sinning against you is okay. It's not. It's sin. And yet in the power of Christ, and only in the power of Christ, not gritting it up in your own strength, in the power of Christ, you can forgive that person. And your way to do that is to put on love. That's what he says. Like a coat over everything else, put on the love of Christ. That's what we're walking around in. That's how we experience unity as believers. I just want to be, y'all have been your pastor for five years. That's how long we've been a church. And in five years, here's what I know. I've had to practice forgiveness with several of you, right? Like whether it's me forgiving you, you forgiving me, and I've gotten to watch you practice this with one another. And that's because we refuse to just be nice and hold grudges. Instead, because we ain't playing that church game here, instead, together, we've worked through various conflicts with repentance and forgiveness, and the result is that the enemy doesn't get a foothold because we remain unified in the love of Christ. Y'all, forgiveness is an incredibly powerful demonstration and practice of the gospel with one another. It's why he spends so much time on it. But then he says, in addition to that, Let the word of Christ, I just love this passage. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I am so excited to get back together all in a room or in an amphitheater or whatever socially distance acceptable and sing together. Sorry. But look, I love this, right? I know you're not surprised to see me stop here. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. That means us. It means when we're together, the word of Christ is to dwell actively among us. We, we grip God's word together. That's why we teach God's word every week. It's why our worship team, I don't know if you know this, but any song we're going to sing, I mean, they put it through a pretty rigorous assessment process. And if they write it, they put it through the same process because they want the word of Christ to dwell richly among us in our music. And that's why if you pay attention to the lyrics that we sing, they are rich, beautiful truths from God's word every week. It's why we preach from God's word every week. What else? What in the world else would we do? But let the word of Christ dwell richly among us. We are God's people. That's what we're to do. And listen, personally, each one of us should be gripping God's word throughout the week so that we're ready to let it dwell actively among us when we are together. If, and so let me say this. If you're newer to the Bible, newer to Christianity, you just, or you just want some training on like how to handle God's word, how to get meaning out of God's word, how to help it guide your life so that you can walk around in the standing Christ has for you. I want you to go to our website. We have a training for you called GRIP. That's a, it's an acronym. It's going to train you how to really get meaning out of your Bible and help you walk through it. And lastly, he sums it up like this, saying, in case you think that he was just giving you a list of do these four things and then you'll be good. He's like, well, it's, it's not a list. It's a life. This is a life of standing in Christ and walking and moving forward with him. 
whatever you do, whatever you do, that pretty much sums it up, (laughs) whatever, anything in word or in deed, whether it's something you say or it's something you do, whatever you do. He's even going to say in another spot, take every thought captive. So whatever you think, whatever you say, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You have a new life. That's why, you know, it's not just like before you do anything and everything you got to say in Jesus' name and then you're good. That's not what that that is. It's a life of I'm standing in Jesus, Christ who is my life. That's who I'm hidden with Christ. So I'm doing everything as a representation of Christ. Everything. Everything. It's all built around that idea. Christ is your life. Simple way this is set up. You died when you became a follower of Christ. You died to sin and you were made alive to God with Christ. He has set you free from sin. And all he's doing is call, he's giving you the spirit of God to empower you to walk forward in the standing you already have. Not to earn God's acceptance. This is not so that God will love you. It's because he loves you, because of what he has done for you. Walk forward, embracing everything that God has for you, the promises. Set your mind there and walk forward. And then we as the church walk forward together, letting the word of God dwell richly among us, guiding us as we go. I want to take a second. I want to pray for you. I want you to take a second, maybe lead you in prayer there and ask you to consider, where is God convicting me? How do I need to walk forward in this new identity he's made for me? Let me pray for you. God, would you give us conviction of where we are still walking in an old way? It's not worthy of you. It's in direct defiance of you. Would you convict us there, God? But would you, as you convict I pray that the, that the hope of the gospel would win out in that conviction. Don't let the enemy lead towards guilt. But instead, God, I pray that we would see Christ who dies for our sin and who makes us alive with you. And then in that mercy, we believe that you've given us the strength to walk forward with you. And I pray that you would give us clarity of where are, we, where are you calling us to follow you? Reveal our blind spots to us. God, I pray that you would renew us. Renew us, Father, with this this fresh reminder of your presence with us. Would it refresh our soul? Thank you for your grace on us. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.